Praise God. Well, it's so good to be here. Um, I was saying before everybody came in that um, we're not going to spend a lot of time with recap. I think you all know where we're at. We are in Matthew, and we are in part 28 of Matthew, and we're going to continue in that tonight without a recap. Is that okay? Because we have a lot to get through, and I'd just like to get to it. So we are in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to begin at verse 1, Matthew 14 and verse 1, which reads, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist, he is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So we have here Herod the Tetrarch, and uh, he's also known as Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. A Tetrarch was a ruler who ruled jointly with three others, uh, the area or the land being divided into four parts. He was the political power in the area under Rome. He was not a Jew. He was an Edomite or an Edomian. Uh, And you will notice that Jesus had enemies who were religious, such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who we talk quite a bit about. Uh, And they were as different from each other in theology and doctrine as they could be, yet they were united Uh, in their rejection of Jesus. And Jesus had enemies who were not religious but political. And it is the same today. Uh, We studied earlier about the leaven of the Pharisees and how Jesus uh, warned his disciples to be aware of it and how the leaven of the Pharisees was their tradition handed down from their elders which went against the word of God making it of no effect. And Jesus... Uh, not only warned his disciples to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, but also the leaven of Herod in Mark 8:15, where he says, Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We have to be careful what traditions we keep. And tradition, as we said before, is not in itself a bad thing. In fact, we need tradition. We really do. Human beings need tradition. Um, And tradition is not necessarily bad, but any tradition that goes against the word of God becomes hypocrisy. And that is a leaven that is found in religious circles. But the leaven of Herod does not necessarily involve religion, for Herod was not a religious religious leader or ruler. He was a political ruler. And there is another kind of leaven. It's a political leaven which can influence the church in a negative way. And history is filled with examples of this. The church becoming a part of the government with the authority to rule over others by force if necessary. God never intended his church to be part of the government. This form of Christianity so-called was used for centuries by uh, rulers to control the population under their rule and the rulers would influence the religious leaders the priest and whatnot to teach in a way that was favorable to the crown 
favorable to the rule instead of the pure, unadulterated word of God. And Herod had such an alliance. He had, a, he had an alliance like that with the Jewish religious leaders who wanted to remain in power. They wanted the status quo. They, they may have given lip service to a coming Messiah who would actually come and set up a new kingdom, but in truth, they were perfectly happy remaining uh, uh, as they were with things the way they were because things the way they were made them in charge. It kept them in charge. And it had them in positions of wealth, positions of influence, positions of respect. In short, they were influenced by the leaven of Herod. But when the Messiah come, came, uh, he did not respect their positions. He was not interested in their education and their learning. He ignored their traditions and their rules. And then he did the unthinkable. And I think out of everything that sent him to the cross, every reason that they wanted him dead was because he chose disciples of men who to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in their mind, they were so far superior to them. And, and they were so believe, beneath the Pharisees and the Sadducees that it was a great insult to them that this one uh, who came, who people were calling the Messiah, would choose these type of men to, to be in it, it, his disciples over the Pharisees. He didn't choose one Pharisee. He didn't choose one Sadducee. He chose fishermen. He chose political zealots and even a hated tax collector. And can I tell you that the Lord chooses men to lead his church? God does it. And he alone ordains the fivefold ministry. That's the truth. There's no institution on earth which can call or, uh, and ordain a minister. Not one institution. The Lord chooses and the church Ratifies. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you get to say, well, I'm ordained without, without the church, without the authority that's in the church. But the church cannot choose a man to be a man of God. God chooses and the church ratifies or confirms. He approves, we approve the choice. Uh, God chooses and we ratify his chosen. Men of God are sent by God. To be a man of God, you have to be sent by God. And the Gospel of John declared about John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God. That's, those were his credentials. The credentials of John the Baptist was he was sent by God. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They were doctors of the law. Paul himself, Saul, who was a Pharisee, had a double doctorate. The man had the Torah memorized. Now, the Bible doesn't say he did, but history says he would have. These were men of, who were highly educated from the time that they could walk in the law, and yet God chose John the Baptist. Amen. So John was not approved of by the Pharisees or the Sadducees, though he was a descendant of the sons of Aaron and therefore a priest. He did not appear to be accepted by the priest. He was an outsider who lived outside of the purview of the religious leaders and outside of the political establishment. But he was sent from God. He was the forerunner of the Messiah and he was faithful to his calling and now we have here in John 14 that his ministry is at 
an end. And may I say here that whatever task the Lord has called you to do, it will one day come to an end. And what will matter then is not that the world knew your name. What will matter then is that you were found faithful by the one who sent you to do the work. Let's look at what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, 26 to 30. And they came to John, and this is speaking about Jesus, because now Jesus is beginning to preach. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist was not Herod's man. John the Baptist was not the Pharisee's man. John the Baptist was not the Sadducee's man, but he was God's man. And to God's man, the important thing is the glory of God. And what a beautiful declaration. He must increase, but I must decrease. And may this be the heart cry of every man and woman of God. When my work is done and no one knows my name, as long as they know the name of Jesus, I will have been a great success. And that is the heart cry of a man who is sent from God. And now the ministry of John the Baptist is at an end. He spoke against Herod marrying marrying a woman, Herodias, who was already married to Herod's brother Philip, and he found himself imprisoned. His ministry, which was prophesied long before he was born, really the only one that I can think of in the Old Testament whose ministry as a man, besides the Lord Jesus Christ, was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. And now he finds himself imprisoned. And his his ministry did not end in power or wealth or prestige or the accolades of men, but in a dark prison cell. How many of God's men ended their ministries in a similar manner? Most of the apostles did. Paul did. Being called of God and sent by God does not mean that we will be accepted by the world. And it does not mean that we will have success in the way that the world measures success. And John the Baptist in prison struggled with doubt. He's in prison. He did everything that God had told him to do. And now he found himself in a prison. And like any of us in a situation would do, he began to doubt. And in Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6, we we read, When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you coming? Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? So he's the one who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and and that he's greater than I. And, And he said all these things about him, but now doubt is starting to cloud his mind when he looks around 
and he sees himself in a prison and he, he sends to Jesus and says, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John, don't be offended because of me. I know what you're going through. I understand the doubt. And I under, in fact, the Lord knew where he was going. And it was going to be a, a death of a like manner. It was not going to be to glory on this earth. It was not going to be the accolades and the praise of men on this earth. But something similar to what John was right then suffering. But Jesus said, in other words, to John, I am increasing. And you are decreasing. Your job was a success. And we have to remember that John the Baptist was a success. I am speaking about him 2,000 years later. He was a success. And they served his head on a platter to the daughter of Herodias. A success. His reward was not found anywhere in this world but is waiting for him in the world to come because he was a friend of the bridegroom and he will rejoice when the bridegroom receives his bride. And that is his reward to stand and see the one, the Messiah, receiving the bride. Amen. Hallelujah. And that should be our reward. Uh, you know what the reward of every minister is? Jesus is the reward to have served to him, to have known him, to have walked in him. And as David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That is the reward of everyone who will be a man of God. And if that's all we ever have, it is more than enough. To behold his beauty, to behold the glory of God. Amen. God's man, praise God. We're in chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Now, but when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him. He commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took, took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So God's man, John the Baptist, was buried without a head. And yet, in the way God measures success, he was a tremendous success because he remained faithful to the very end. We must remain faithful to the very end. May we learn from John the Baptist. 
He decreased. He decreased in the things that he wanted, the things that he desired. His ministry came to an end. But from that time on, you see a sharp change in the ministry of Jesus because as John decreased and John was removed from the picture, Jesus begins to increase. Let's look at what Jesus did immediately after the death of John the Baptist, beginning in Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitudes. It wasn't a multitude, there were multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. There were five loaves of bread. Now, these were not even large loaves of bread like what we have today. They weren't wonder bread, but these were small loaves and two fish. The Gospel of John specifically mentions that the five barley loaves came from a single lad, just a boy. So it was a meal for one Lad, And the Bible records there were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So let's just assume that half of those men were married and they had their wives with them. That brings the number of people that were fed that day up to 7,500. Now let's also assume that the married couples each have a child. Some might have two, some might have three, so let's just say the balance is they each have one. That brings the number conservatively to 10,000 people, men, women, and children. And Jesus fed them all. He fed somewhere around 10,000 people with one meal of five loaves and two fish provided by one lad. Now you may think you don't have much to give to the Lord. You may say, well, I really don't have a whole lot. And you, you, you look in your bank account and it's non-existent or in the red. And you look in your purse and there's not a whole lot uh, to give to the Lord. But see, the Lord doesn't need a lot. He just needs everything you have. Well, that sounds like a lot. It wasn't a lot to the widow. And her two mites. God just needs everything you have. Listen, the gospel is free, but it'll cost you everything you have, which is nothing. Somebody said, I don't, I don't want to lay down my life 
for, for, for this. I've got so much in my life. No, you don't. You have filthy, dirty rags, not even worthy of wearing. And the Lord's going to say, let me just have those. And he's going to give you garments of righteousness and purity and holiness and goodness. And he's going to give you peace and joy for everything that you have, which is nothing. What do you have? Will you give it to the Lord? Then the scripture says they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that Remain. So what began is five small loaves and two fish fed the multitude, and what remained filled 12 baskets. So the 12 apostles were also fed, and they probably ate from what remained of the baskets for quite some time. And we see with this miracle that with the death of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus increased. Never before was it recorded that a man fed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. This was beyond anything he had ever done. What an incredible miracle. But he did not end there. Let's continue in Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes, there's that plural again, away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that is between 3 a.m., to 6 a.m. So we're looking at the darkest part of the night if it's 3 a.m., say 3 to 4. Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. Don't laugh, you would have said the same thing with the same circumstances. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, bo. I like that. Jesus said one word, come. In Hebrew, it's bo. One word, bo. And immediately Jesus stretched out. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, and, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And begin, beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I feel a little bit of uh, not exactly resentment toward Matthew in this, that he records this OU of little faith, but Matthew was still in the boat. Right. <laughs> you see, we've got to make sure that we write in there that Peter he said, hello, you of little faith. Yeah, but Matthew, you were in the boat. You had no faith at all. Peter had a little faith. The guys in the boat had no faith. I'd rather have a little faith, wouldn't you? Praise God. <laughs> I don't think it actually happened that way, but I mean, it makes you think. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. 
Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I wonder if they being Jews remembered what Job said in Job chapter 9, verse 8, speaking of the Lord. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He alone treads on the waves of the sea. And they see this one walking upon the waves of the sea. And them being Jews knew the scripture. This has to be the one. Jesus said only one word, come. The disciples were out in the middle of the sea of Galilee during the fourth watch of the night. And that means that they had been rowing for Nine hours, bailing water, rowing against contrary wind. And I'm telling you, there was something supernatural, something unnatural about this wind. These were uh, seasoned fishermen. Many of them were seasoned fishermen raised on the sea most of their lives. But they were completely helpless against the wind and the waves that night. Their efforts were in vain. Their work was in vain. All their experience, their talents, and yet they could not get the boat to shore. And their only safety from the storm and the contrary winds was the boat. While in the boat, they were not in the raging sea. While in the boat, though in a desperate situation, they were not alone. They had others who were all in the same boat. And that we find that comforting, don't we? When others are all in the same boat that we are. And it was a relative place of safety because it was sure a lot better than drowning. You ever felt that way? Your life is in a boat in a raging sea, but at least we're all in it together. Right? Some churches are that way. We're going to keep using our talents. We're going to keep using our abilities. And we have them. We, we've been doing this our whole life. We're gifted singers. We're gifted speakers. We're, we're gifted at all of these things. But the waves that are, uh, are crashing around you and the winds that are blowing, it's a supernatural wind. Something's coming against you. And there's nothing that you can do on your own with your own talents that are, that are going to get you to get that boat to shore. It's not going to happen. But Jesus. For Peter, a fisherman, the boat was a familiar place. Like I said, it was better to be in the boat than in the sea. And hour after hour, the disciples were in the boat. Imagine what it must have been like for the disciples around three in the morning. The the skies are dark. An unnatural wind is blowing. They're exhausted. The waters of the sea are churning and the waves are crashing all around their boat. They are cold. They are lost. And they are unable to see which way to row. So even in their rowing, they don't even know if they're still rowing the same direction that they were rowing before. And they are desperate. And then they see a figure in the midst of the darkness. And this figure is doing what no man has ever done before. As the book of Job declares, God alone spreads out the heavens and treads upon the waves of the sea. They are no doubt exhausted and frightened. And they believe that they're seeing a spirit. No man could be doing what this man is doing. And suddenly they hear him. 
calling out to them, be of good cheer. I think that's just kind of funny. It's almost like it's almost like Christmas time. And it's like they're in all the everything's and he just walks out and says, Be of good cheer, God rest you, merry gentlemen. <laughs> Everything will be okay. But he says, ah, it's, I do not be afraid. Now we see an amazing act. And by the way, I see this a little bit differently. Because I had been an atheist, and what brought me from atheism was hearing the audible voice of God. He spoke to me. And I believe I know what this voice sounded like. And when I hear him say, be of good cheer, that's exactly how he said it. He didn't have to shout it. He didn't scream it. Yeah, there was a loud wind, but see, his voice pierces that wind. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, we see an amazing act of faith from Peter. There were several disciples in that boat, but only one man did what Peter did. When Peter heard the voice of Jesus, he called out to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Now, we need to have an understanding of just who it was who was walking on the stormy seas that night. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Jesus had been there before. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want to crash theology. I don't want to clash theology with you. But let me tell you, Jesus was the one who created everything. In the beginning was the word. Devar is the Devar Yehovah. Devar means the essence, the substance, and the spoken word. That's who he was of God. And he was in the beginning with God and he was God. Amen. So we need to have an understanding. The book of Job, as I said, it says only God treads upon the waves of the sea. And when his voice moved across the waters in the midst of the crashing waves and the contrary winds, it was not just any voice. It was the voice of the one true God manifest in the flesh robed in the body of human frailty. I'm telling you, it doesn't seem like a day goes by that I don't see some kind of video somewhere where somebody says, the Bible never says that Jesus is God and Jesus never proclaimed to be God. You never read your Bible, did you? I mean, come on! This is the one who spoke into the darkness upon the face of the deep and declared, let there be light. Hallelujah. And there was light. Is the, he's the one who divided light from darkness and ordered the seas to inhabit one place and dry land appeared. That's who was walking upon the water that night. He's the one who formed uh, man from the dust of the ground, breathed into, into him the breath of life, and said to Peter that night, Bo, you're going to learn a Hebrew word tonight, Bo, come. My dog's name is Bo, so every time I say combo, I'm saying it twice. Hallelujah. But the good thing is he doesn't know. Well, pay careful attention to this. Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. He left the only place of safety against the storm 
and the winds and focusing on Jesus when he stepped out of the boat I'm going to point this out and I want you to get this because this is why I'm going through this whole story normally I teach but I feel a little preach coming on is that okay I want you to get the fact that when Jesus uh, obeyed the voice of the Lord and he kept his attention focused on Jesus Peter did what no mortal, normal man had ever done before. No other man had ever tread upon the face of the waters and upon the face of the sea. Because the Lord said, come. And when Peter obeyed, he did what Jesus did. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, as long as the Lord was the center of his focus, Peter continued to do what Jesus did. When his eyes were on Jesus, he was doing what Jesus did. Jesus said, come, and Peter obeyed, finding himself doing something that no, no normal man could have ever done before and can I say this if you will answer the voice of God where's his voice where do we find his voice well he speaks to us today but it's also in his word thy word is truth everything that's written in this uh, book for the church is applicable today the Holy Spirit is for us today it's to whomsoever the Lord shall call it's going to be to whoever for generation to generation it's for us today and so is every other promise that we find in the Bible if you will answer the voice of God you will do things that others only dream about you will go places you never imagined and you will do things that only Jesus can do. He does them because he's doing them through you. That's what it means to follow him, hear his voice, follow him and do the things he does. When he is the focus and he beckons you to come, you could even walk on water just as Peter did. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Now, Peter believed for a while. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And while Peter believed and he kept his eye on Jesus and not on the crashing waves, he did the work that Jesus was doing. Do you see that? He was able to do what Jesus was doing when Jesus was his focus and his faith was in him. And Jesus said, greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Jesus is not only the God of the New Testament, but he is also the God of the Old Testament. <laughs> People ask me all the time, why was the God of the Old Testament so harsh? And if you broke a law, you went to hell. And if you were a murderer, you had no forgiveness. And if you were an adulterer, there was no mercy. Uh, why was that God so harsh, but Jesus was so merciful? Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. And can I tell you that not one person was ever saved by the law. The law condemned everybody who ever followed it. 
everybody who ever followed the law were condemned by the law because if they broke even one part of 613 Jewish laws, they were guilty of the whole law. King David, and we talk about him quite a bit. King David, and I mention this all the time, was a, an adulterer and a murderer, and there was no sacrifice under the law for an adulterer or a murderer. They were to be taken outside the city and stoned to death, period. So how was David saved? By grace, through faith. And then Jesus paid the price for his salvation on Calvary. Can I tell you that's how you're saved today? By grace, through faith. And Jesus paid your price on Calvary. Isn't that beautiful to see? Amen. But we're going off on that again. And by the way, it's not even in my notes. I think God likes to get on that. Or I do. One of us do. <laughs> Amen. So Jesus is not only the God of the New Testament, but also the God of the Old Testament. The mystery of God is great. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was? Jehovah was. Jehovah was manifest in the flesh, Jesus is Devar, the Word of God. According to John, he is Devar, which means Word. Devar, Jehovah. It does not, in the Old Testament, when we read the Word of God, we're reading it in English, and it says, okay, the Word of God came, the Word of God came uh, to Jeremiah. And we think, okay, he must have heard a voice. No! Devar, Jehovah was a title of Jehovah. Devar Jehovah means the essence, the substance, the visible form of Jehovah appeared to Jeremiah. How do you know that, Ricky Taylor? Because the Word of God reached out with his hand and touched Jeremiah on the lips. Now, who do you think the Devar Jehovah was? John tells us who he was. In the beginning was the Devar. And the Devar was God. And the Devar was with God. All things were made by Him. And the Word, the Devar, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's who we're talking about here. John the Baptist said of Jesus, He is from everlasting. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see His day, and he saw it, and he was glad. When did Abraham see his day? On the day that Jesus came with two angels and had lunch with Abraham. The Devar Yehovah, the Malach Yehovah, or what is interpreted in English as the angel of the Lord, is this one who was walking up on the water. He identified himself as the I am, the voice that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And can I say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were with him in a fiery furnace. Who was it? It wasn't another God. It was the one that we all know, the one who was walking upon the water. Colossians 1.16 declares, and by, by this, can I ask you this? How many creators are there? Okay, well, Colossians 1.16 declares about him, for by him, Jesus, 
All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities. Uh, altar builders, I want you to get this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And who created the principalities to begin with? Jesus. All things were made by him, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So when he speaks to the principality that you're wrestling over in prayer, that principality has to obey because their creator commanded it to obey. Hallelujah. I submit to you that this one called Jesus of Nazareth was the God of the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints heard his voice and they obeyed. And they also did things in their time that had never been done before. Enoch heard his call and he walked with him. He did not see death but was translated. God took him out of the world and that had never been done before. There's no record of it anywhere. Moses heard his voice. He turned the waters of the great Nile into blood. He called the plagues. He brought the most powerful kingdom on earth to its knees. He held out the rod of God and the sea parted. And that had never been done before. And Joshua followed him. And Joshua in a battle commanded the sun to stand still in the sky. And it obeyed the voice of a man. Why? Because he had heard the voice of God and he obeyed. And that had never been done before. And Elijah followed him. This man stepped out and he declared, it will not rain until I say so. And the rain obeyed the voice of a man. And that had never been done before. And Elisha followed him. He parted the river Jordan uh, and using the mantle of Elijah. And even in death, when the body of a dead man touched his bones, the dead man became alive again. And that had never been done before. We don't see that anywhere. And now we have Peter. And he's just a simple fisherman. And he went on to do greater things. He walked on the water. To my knowledge, he is the only man besides Jesus Christ who ever walked on the water. Shame on all of you. Praise God. But Acts chapter 5 verse 15 reports to 16 records about Peter. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities in Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all Healed. There is no record of anyone ever being healed by the shadow of a man before. But because Peter was walking with Jesus, there was. And Jesus said, we'll do greater things. Jesus never healed anybody with his shadow. But Peter did greater things. Consider the Apostle Paul. Never before was it recorded that aprons and handkerchiefs from the body of a man of God would cause bodies to be healed and demons to leave. And I'm going to say this in closing thy word. 
And I'm not going to apologize for preaching instead of teaching because I just feel it. It's time to step out and do greater things. If you will hear the voice of God, you will go places and you will do things that you never thought possible. And you may say, Ricky Taylor, it could not happen to me. I'm nothing but an auto mechanic, a factory worker, an administrative assistant. I'm a housekeeper in a hotel. I do people's hair for a living before they get married. I'm not singling anybody out. I am uneducated. I'm not from a great lineage. My name's not Urshan or fill in the blank. Swaggart, thank God. My father wasn't a preacher. I'm a nobody. And I, I want to tell you that I'm glad to hear that. If that's the way that you're feeling and those are the words that you're saying, I am glad to hear that you're a nobody because that is exactly who God is looking for. And those were the 12 that he chose, except one of them was a charming, educated guy of the tribe of Judah. You might remember him. He didn't work out. <laughs> Judas, for those of you guys who are slow in the update. He is looking for no buddies. Peter, and I'm closing now, quoted the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, beginning at 16. And it shall come to pass. I love this. I love this because I lived in the worst trailer in the worst trailer park in San Diego County. The other trailer livers always looked down on me because of the way that I lived. I'm a nobody. I had nothing. I finished my education under the, what's that bridge over there, Chicano Park Bridge. And the way that I got there was by juking and jiving and diving and running when the trolley cop got on the trolley because I didn't have any money to pay. Thank God for the United States Navy. But I'm a nobody! And you're all listening to me. All of you. And I'm so glad that you are wrapped attention. What a beautiful crowd tonight. I, I got to tell you, we just cherish you. We love you here. But I'm a nobody. And as long as I remember that I'm a nobody, <laughs> I get to walk with somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. He lets me walk with him. The Lord did not choose somebody he says your young men shall see visions your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and on my men servants those are slaves really in the old testament and on my maid servants my nobodies i will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy these are the days jesus uh, peter said these are the days the Lord did not choose the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the politi political elite. As the Apostle Paul, who had once been a Pharisee, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. I lied. This is the last verse. I promise you there's not one after this. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise. I like this because he's the wisest of them all, the most educated of them all. If anybody should have ever sent to the Hebrews, it should have been this man. Because he had all of the credentials. So God sent an uneducated fisherman to the Jews. And then he sends the most educated Jew in Jerusalem to the Gentiles. Who don't even know what the law is. 
See, because God wanted a nobody, and Paul was a nobody over here, and Peter was a nobody over here. We would have done the reverse, wouldn't we? We would have, well, you're the man with all the education. You go to the Hebrews. Nope. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Thank God. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. That's you and me. We're the foolish things of the world. Oh, we are. You believe in creationism? <laughs> oh, yeah. You believe in a trillion missing links and you haven't even found one of them yet? That's foolish. But I'm the foolish thing that's going to let you know how foolish it is. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the, to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world put to, to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, those are the Herods of this world. They're mighty here, but they're going to be brought down low by you and me. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, are nothing. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. All of this that you see is going to dissolve away. But there's a kingdom where you and I will reign and rule with him. The nothings and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And I thank God for it. I thank that him that he has chosen the likes of you and the likes of me. To show his glory. Let's pray. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for thy word. I thank you for this multitude who has come, Lord, that we can feed them. And I ask you to take just the loaves and fishes of this man and to feed them. And let there be so much left over that, that it feeds others until all are fed. I pray the word of God. Let the word of God go into our hearts. Let it go deep, not to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. To lay hands on the sick and they recover. To cast out demons in your name. To do greater things than you did as you said we would. And I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless all of you.